0: Um now's a good time to grab your Bibles, to turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. If you would like a Bible, a church Bible, Ben's walking around, stick your hand in the air. Uh, he'd love to give you a Bible so you can see um, the bit of God's Word that we're looking at this evening. We are going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, verses 1 to 8. Uh, but just as you're flicking that up, we're, we're going to come to that reading in just a minute because uh, before we get to it, I, I just want to spend a, a minute or so thinking about a question that's come my way over the last five or so weeks as we've been looking at this letter. A few people have asked me this, Um, and the question is this, how does all of this, uh, this letter to Timothy, uh, how does it apply to someone who isn't a church leader? Uh, We've seen, haven't we, from the beginning that that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter to Timothy, uh, the leader of the church in Ephesus. And so, as we've kind of worked our way through, much of what uh, Paul has been saying uh, has been to someone uh, or applies to someone who is in a similar position to Timothy. Uh, church leaders, pastors, people like me, I guess. And so, the obvious question as we read a, a letter like this is what about everybody else? What does it mean for the majority of us who are not church leaders? Uh, We've already heard um, this evening, uh, Gareth read from chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful uh, for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. It's useful, but how is this bit of scripture useful for me if I'm not a church leader? That's the question that's that's come up, that's come my way. And as one person I read recently put it, maybe a helpful way to think about it is uh, to think yourself or imagine yourself back to World War II. And ask yourself the question, um, how do you defeat the Nazis? How do you beat the Nazis? In real, to show my limited history knowledge, in real simple terms, you beat the Nazis by holding the English Channel, by supplying the French resistance, and by getting ready for D-Day. That was the strategy. That was how to win the war. But just because you're not Winston Churchill or some sort of army general Obviously, that didn't mean that you're not involved. It didn't mean you had no part to play, that there was no application for you from that plan. You might not have even been in the army. But that doesn't mean there was nothing for you to do. Maybe you were working in a factory building Spitfires. Maybe you were in your garden digging for victory. You don't have to be Churchill to be part of the war effort. And the point of that picture, the point of that illustration was not to say that that pastors are like prime ministers in the church. No, the point is that the task, the, the mission of guarding the gospel, that big mission that we've been thinking about, is a mission in which everybody has a part to play. And so whilst this is a letter written to a church leader, and so much of the application is primarily for those who lead the church in that fight, It doesn't mean there's nothing for the rest of us to do. And we've seen that already, haven't we? Think back if you were here last week. uh, We were in chapter 3 and Paul told Timothy that in order to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus, in order to guard the gospel, uh, to protect it from false teachers, it was crucial that his life and his teaching matched It really mattered that for him as a leader, people could see that he not only talked the talk, but that he also walked the walk. And so the primary application was for people like me, or for Mike, to go and do the same. To make sure that by God's grace, our lives match our message. That was a big application. But that doesn't mean there's nothing for everyone else to do. As someone really helpfully pointed out to me after the sermon, leaders need the church's help in this. We need your help in this. It is your job to hold your leaders to account, to gently and patiently point out when our lives don't match our teaching. Or when those sinful characteristics that we saw back at the start of chapter Three, selfishness, greed, pride, those sorts of things, when they begin to creep into the lives of your leaders. In other words, part of mission guard the gospel is to protect your leaders, to pray for them, and on occasion to speak to them in order to help them as they lead in this fight. And so can you see that everybody has a part to play Whoever you are, whatever your role in the life of the church, everyone has a part to play in this mission of guarding the gospel. And we're going to see that as we're about to see. That is true when it comes to one of the main tasks of the church leader, the task of preaching the word. And that brings us to chapter 4. So turn there uh, to chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read this bit of God's word together. Paul carries on. He's just been talking about the importance of God's word. uh, And he says in chapter 4, verse 1 In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's pray as we come to God's word now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you are the God who speaks to us. We thank you again that all scripture is breathed out by you for us. And so, Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would speak to us and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond what you want to say. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the final chapter of Paul's probably final letter. Did you notice in verse 6 and 7, he says, The time for my departure is near. Paul's death is imminent. And here is the last bit of probably his last letter that he writes to Timothy. And we want to see two big things this evening. Two things in those eight verses that Paul says as he kind of draws everything to a close. Two things that begin to sum up what he has been saying all the way through. And the first one, as we've said a number of times, is to keep preaching. Keep preaching. This is Paul's big command to Timothy. It's there in verse 2. We'll see it again. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. That's the task. That's the job as the leader of the church in Ephesus. He is to preach the word. It's the task that all leaders, all pastors are called to do. To preach the word. And straight away, I wonder whether that, that actually presents a little bit of a challenge to us. Because it can be really easy, can't it, to hear that command. This is, this is the build-up. This is where it's all been leading to. And to be a bit underwhelmed. To hear the, the command to preach the word and think, oh. Our eyes kind of glaze over a little bit. We sit here in King's Church, Chessington, a a church committed to faithful Bible teaching in every age, as we've just heard. Uh, We value being equipped by the word to serve. And so the call to keep preaching, well, it frankly just doesn't grip us as it should. It's a little bit like um, one of those safety announcements on an aeroplane. It's been a long while since I've been on an aeroplane now. Uh, but you know, the, you know uh, when you're sitting there waiting for uh, the, the plane to take off and uh, over the speakers comes, ladies and gentlemen, please listen to the following safety announcement. And the little videos pop up on the screen. We, we know what's coming. We, we know what's going to be said is it important. It might even save our life. We've heard it all before. We know what to expect. And so we think, well, I've, I've heard this. Uh, maybe I'll read my magazine or choose what film I'm going to watch while they get on with that stuff. And similarly, we know that the, pre- the call to, to preach the word, we know it's important. It's one of our values, but we've heard it all before. And so it has no urgency. It doesn't, it doesn't grip us as it should. But imagine that, that later on uh, in that flight, you were... Uh, making that kind of awkward trip to the toilet past all the people in your row, and you're standing there uh, by the cockpit, and, and you overhear the, the captain speaking to his co-pilot. You, you hear him saying, well, we've had a serious malfunction. One engine is down. We're going to need to make an emergency landing now. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to the following safety announcement. Uh, knowing that information, hearing that conversation, it would, it would dramatically affect how you listen to that announcement, wouldn't it? And can you see, the same is happening at the start of our passage. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Do you see what Paul says in verse 1 completely changes how we hear verse 2. He says, There is a day... A day that is coming when all people will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. A day when every person will have to give an account for their lives. Whoever they are, wherever they're from, however well or not well they have lived, that is where history is heading, says Paul. That's the future. Jesus and his kingdom. And so nothing in the world matters more than that day. Which means the big question for every person everywhere is Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you ready for the day when Christ will return to judge the living and the dead? That is the most important question that you will ever have to answer. It's the most important question for you. It's the most important question for the person sitting next to you this evening. It is the most important question for your neighbours, your colleagues, your family, your friends. Are you ready for that day? It's like you're in a plane hurtling towards the earth, and the question is, are you ready? And do you know that the, the truly amazing thing is, if you're a Christian here this evening... You know how people can be ready. We saw that last week, didn't we? Remember Paul said back in chapter 3, verse 15, he said it's God's word, the Bible, that makes people ready, makes them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is the Bible that shows us that we are sinners, guilty before a holy God, hurtling towards his judgment, And it's the Bible that shows us Jesus. It shows us the one who has paid the price for our sin through his death on a cross, and so now freely offers forgiveness and life for those who put their faith in him. It's in this book, it's in here, and only in here that we can be made ready for Christ's return. And so now, can you see the urgency when Paul says, Preach the word? Keep telling people about Jesus. Keep proclaiming the gospel. Keep telling them this. Don't stop. This is what people need more than anything in the world. It is what the JFers need as they go on camp more than anything in the world. Preach the word. And so once again, it's not not only relevant, is it, for the person that stands up here. Whoever we are, whatever our role in church, if we really believe chapter 4, verse 1, if we believe that Christ will return to judge the world, then we will be utterly committed to the preaching and proclamation of God's word because that is how people are ready. Whether that's in your own conversations, as you meet in small groups or youth work, as you go on camps, as you invite your friends to church to hear the word preached, as you pray for those that preach it, all of us, should be committed to the faithful preaching of God's word. Keep preaching, says Paul. Keep preaching because Christ will return to judge. And also because people won't always want to listen. Do you see that in verse 3? For the time will come when the people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It can be easy for us, I think, to assume that, that people in church will always love to listen to God's word. Maybe that's how you think of other Christians. That they are always super eager uh, to read the Bible. That, that once we've heard the truth, we will always have this deep hunger for it, can't get enough of it. And wonderfully, that is often true. But at the same time, we know, don't we, that that it's not always true. We're not always super excited to get up a bit early and do our quiet time uh, to read our Bible. We're not always thrilled when it comes to the bit in the service where we sit and listen for 30 minutes. We know that there's something in us that can want to press mute on God's voice. And Paul says in verse 3 that it's our, our desires... We can be tempted to turn up the volume on our desires and so turn down the volume on God's voice. In fact, it's actually our desires, isn't it, that, that makes hearing God's word a bit uncomfortable at times. It's our desires, what we want for us, that, that makes us much rather want to listen to words that will affirm us than teaching that will challenge us. Paul describes it as people with itching ears in verse 3. People who who long for teaching that tells them what they want to hear. Do you see, it doesn't doesn't even really matter whether it's true or not, verse 4. They'll turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. They'd rather listen to, to myths as long as they sound nice, says Paul. And what is true in Timothy's day obviously remains true for us. We live in a, in a time, in a world where it is incredibly easy to find people who will tell us everything we want to hear. You know as well as I do that you've only got to go online for a few minutes and you'll find someone, probably a whole community of people, who will agree with you, who affirm you in whatever it is you want to do or think. It's not hard to find people who will tell you what you want to hear. You just need to go online or... Move around a church. And so can you see that the temptation for Timothy, the temptation for any Bible teacher, the temptation to to just change the message just, just a little bit, to not mention those things that we all know tend to put people in our culture off to pull back on some of the the more challenging or uncomfortable applications, to just skim over those bits when we come to them. Because if you want people to like you, and everybody wants people to like them, don't they? If you want people to like you, then you'll be tempted to tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And so again, there's there's a role for all of us in this. That is to pray for those who preach here at King's Church, Chessington. Pray because we, they are human. And this can be a real temptation. Guarding the gospel will mean praying for your preachers, praying that they stick to what God wants to say, not to what people want to hear. Pray for your preachers. But then there's another application for those of us who are Uh, more often on the listening rather than the speaking end of things. Uh, That is that that all of us, whoever we are, we need to be aware of uh, the danger of our desires. Uh, Desires that are always on the lookout for people to say, it's okay, you do you. God doesn't really mind. Uh, We need to guard against our sinful desires and our itching ears. And the way that we do that, is by making sure that we regularly hear and sit under the faithful preaching of God's words. Uh, Mike Ovi was the, the principal of the Bible college that I studied at a few years ago. He died unexpectedly in my last year there. But I always remember one of the things that he said again and again uh, in his lectures and when he was standing up the front, he always used to say, When was the last time God's word disagreed with you? When was the last time God's word disagreed with you? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Because it reveals, uh, to me at least, who I'm really listening to. It shows whether my life, my my words, my actions, my beliefs, my behaviours, whether those things are being shaped by, by God's word... Or by my own desires? When was the last time God's word disagreed with you? We need to watch out for our desires. We need to be careful of our itching ears. And we need to pray. Pray that our pastors would keep preaching God's word, even when we don't want to hear it. Timothy must keep preaching because Christ will come to judge and because people won't always want to listen. Uh, secondly, Paul says he must keep persevering. Keep persevering. Uh, perseverance has been another uh, big theme in this letter, hasn't it? Uh, remember last week, a good soldier of Jesus Christ is someone who continues, someone who keeps going, keeps going with the gospel. Uh, despite opposition, despite false teachers, Timothy must persevere. Persevere. And so here, having told him to to keep preaching even when no one's listening, Paul now says in verse 5, But you, Timothy, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Keep going, Timothy. Persevere in the light of Uh, people abandoning the gospel, turning away from the truth, keep your head. Don't panic. Endure hardship. Keep pressing on. Keep fighting. Keep going. No matter what comes your way. Do the work of an evangelist. Don't get so caught up in silly arguments with false teachers that you forget the main thing that people need to hear the gospel. They need to be ready for that day. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Keep doing what you've been called to do, Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God. Preach the word. Keep passing on the gospel. Don't give up. Persevere. And then in verse, verse 6, Paul points to himself, his, his own example, uh, to spur Timothy on. He says in verse 6, For I am already poured out, being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If someone calls you to some sort of big demanding task or to make some sort of great sacrifice, it always makes a huge amount of difference to know that they have gone before you, doesn't it? And that is Paul here. As he writes to his dear son Timothy, he points to his own example. He says, I've gone before you, Timothy. He is an example to Timothy and to us, particularly when it comes to persevering for the sake of the gospel. I remember how he began the letter in chapter 1. He, he said, Timothy, everyone in the province of Asia has abandoned me. They've, they've deserted me. They've all gone. The ones who stood beside me have left. Chapter 2, he said, I've been chained like a criminal for preaching the gospel. Chapter 3, Timothy, you know all about my persecutions, my sufferings when I travelled around Asia preaching the gospel. Next week, chapter 4, we're going to see, Paul says, he's been abandoned by everyone in his hour of need, in his trial in Rome. They left him. Paul has been opposed, he's been persecuted he's been stoned he's been beaten abandoned rejected despised he has suffered for the gospel but he hasn't just suffered has he he's persevered verse six he has fought the good fight like a good soldier of jesus christ he has kept fighting he's finished the race Like the honest athlete back in chapter 2, he has competed according to the rules. He's not tried to find a way around suffering because he knows that's part of the plan. And like the farmer, he has worked hard. He has poured himself out for the sake of the gospel. Despite suffering, despite opposition, despite hardship, Paul has persevered. And so he can say in verse 7 there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. As he has done time and time again in this short letter, Paul lifts Timothy's eyes to the future. He reminds him of that pattern that we keep seeing suffering now, glory later. Because as Paul has suffered, as he has been poured out for the gospel, he has kept going because he knows that that is not the end of the story. Just as he began in this chapter, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Christ will return to judge. He knows the future. And so for those who have been made wise for salvation through faith in him, those who are ready because they have put their trust in Christ Paul says that day, that, that final day, it's not a day to dread. But end of verse 7, it's a day to long for. That word longed for there that Paul uses, it can also mean loved. And it's not hard to see the connection, is it? Those who truly love Jesus will be those that long for, that love his return. They'll have their eyes fixed and their hearts set on the day when he comes back to take them home. The day that, as Paul says, when we cross the finish line and receive the victor's crown. And so can you see, it's those who love Christ, those who love him that long for that day, that long for his return. They are the ones that will keep going. Like Paul, they will run the race to the very end. And so as we close, we need to pray, don't we? We need to pray that this would be us. We need to pray that that as God's word is preached, our minds and hearts would be filled with love for Christ. That is what it's about. That we would long to see him. Long to to meet our saviour face to face. That is what we would long for. And until that day, well, we need to pray that we would keep persevering. That by his grace and in his strength, we would keep going until our race is over or until he returns. Let's pray, shall we? Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for The Apostle Paul, Father, we thank you for your grace and work in his life. Thank you for the way that he writes and speaks to Timothy here, uh, calls him to keep preaching, to keep proclaiming your word about Christ so that people can be ready for that day. And thank you that Paul kept persevering. And so the gospel was handed on and handed on and handed on until it came to us. Father, thank you that in the end, none of that is down to Paul but down to you. And so, Father, we pray the same would be true for each of us here this evening, that you would work in us, that you would uh, strengthen us for this task of guarding the gospel, of proclaiming the good news of Christ and persevering until the very end. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.